Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Family Office Club on Clubhouse. So I'm Matthias Knapp. This is the first session of our newly founded Family Office Club here on Clubhouse. You see the logo of the club also in my profile, in my Clubhouse profile. So please feel free to check out my profile. Uh, you find the icon of the club and please follow us. We will also republish this a session as a podcast, similar to the other podcast that we are running in our Alternative Investments Club. So that one you can find on all major podcast players if you look for Alternative Investments colon Clubhouse Sessions. And this one will be called Family Office colon Clubhouse Session. So we will be on Apple, Google and all these podcasts, right? So please uh, check us out and follow us also on the podcast side. Our theme today is stay rich, stay wealthy. We'll cover proven strategies for wealth preservation and besides traditional diversification and risk management, financial education is the focus of the session and of course the focus of wealth owners and wealth managers. So we have a great panel today. I'm going to ask the panelists to quickly introduce yourself and tell us also what is your specific link to the theme of wealth preservation today. Well, Kirsten, are you ready? Let's start with uh, you. Thank you so much. Well, I'm Kirsten Rasbogel and I work with family businesses and help identify where there are communication weaknesses. And I'll identify those gaps and create a custom action plan to overcome them so that people can feel empowered and be heard. And I've been doing this work for over 30 years. Right. Thank you so much. Peter, let's uh, take you next. Yes, uh, Matthias, thanks a lot. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you and the others. Um, I've known uh, Adi for a long time and Christian also and Kirsten, we spoke lately. Um, I uh, work for mainly a family office in Germany for L Vision who do uh, impact investing, which we can touch on later to sustainably manage your wealth. And with um, Christian, I have recently founded a year ago, uh, Be Wiser, which is a video platform that uh, teaches um, people how to better structure their wealth. Adib, let's go with you then. Quick introduction. Hi, Matthias. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, yes, definitely. We, me and Peter we go way back, <laughs> very long uh, way back, not very old. Though. My name is Adib Rashid. I am a certified family business and wealth advisor. I am based in Toronto. I lead a family consulting, family business consulting uh, firm. Uh, since 2018 here in Toronto. I focus mainly on helping families develop uh, appropriate structure for facilitating continuity, promoting unity within the family, and uh, also coach next generation. Prior to that, I was based in the Middle East region, uh, working with uh, EY and PwC and, and leading their family business practice for the Middle East and North Africa region. And I've been working with families for over 20 years now, developing uh, corporate governance, family office structures, succession planning, and so on. Great, thank I'm you. I'm looking forward to the session and hopefully we'll uh, share some good uh, insights of course yeah thank you Adib. So christian are you are you online yes 
Welcome to everybody. Uh, well, I've been a banker for 20 years in wealth management in domestic German and international private banking and all that stuff. I was manager of a family office of the Quant family. And then about eight or nine years ago, I started my own business, which is virtual family office services, a uniquely designed approach to assist wealthy families to structure their wealth better. And uh, as Peter just pointed out, uh, together we founded Be Wiser, which is a financial education company. Let's start with you, right, Christian? What is a virtual family office and who can make best use of it? Cool. Uh, there is many definitions of, of virtual family office around the globe. Some people think it's technology based and more for the smaller kind of wealth. In some countries, that's the notion. And in other countries, it's more high level family office advisory kind of style. That's what I do since eight years. And it basically means that in a completely virtual family office, you don't have an office. So you don't have staff you have to employ. You don't have office space that you have to pay for. You just break a family office down in many different tasks that need to be settled. And then you just find service providers that fulfill that task and you have a coordinator, that's my role in, in, in the clients I work with, that just makes sure that all these service providers are good and that they work seamlessly together and all that kind of stuff. So it's more strategic kind of thing and it applies to wealth owners that are a bit knowledgeable. So people that don't have a clue of the financial industry at all, and they just want a one-stop shopping thing, it's not for them. It's for people who want to be involved, who want to take decisions themselves, but not do everything on a daily basis. That's basically what a virtual family office, the way I understand it, is about. So, so this, this is a great angle to really go into, into the, this discussion, right? Because we want to focus in and zoom in on financial education and also look at what is actually the level of financial education. If you look at the life cycle, right, of the ultra high net worth, right? So they, there is the phase of the wealth accumulation, the wealth creation, right? They start a business, they grow the business, they sell the business, they go IPO, etc. You know, this is the tip typical liquidity event and then suddenly you know they're sitting on you know, I just know one example of a Canadian family you know over one billion and they really need to deploy it and they are now faced with a whole different a whole this is a, a set of problems in a completely different domain right when it gets they have to care about diversification they have to do asset allocation they have to employ people and get educated etc do you see that a lot of people that they are challenged when it gets to this phase of wealth creation over to wealth preservation well, of course, there's a number of problems that goes with it. One thing is obviously the knowledge on this kind of asset management approach that not everybody has because people who are busy building up their business usually have other things to do than to learn about this. And then there's obviously these structural and psychological elements that especially inside a family where there's more people that have to act together always happen. One advisor that I met uh, made it very clear when he said that uh, all decisions that entrepreneurial or wealthy families take are taken in the Bermuda Triangle of power, wealth, and love. 
And that's why it is so complicated. So in order to get this right, governance issues have to kick in and you have to really want it. <laughs> you want to have you have to want to get it right, which is uh, not even a not always a given. And then of course, in the end, it is the texture of a family that has to be knitted together in a way that it allows for preservation of wealth over time. That's like in a nutshell. Yeah, Peter, Christian, Adib, do you want to chime in about this transition towards wealth preservation? Well, what um, I mean, typically, you know, entrepreneurial families uh, with a family business, at some point, you know, they are great business managers, but not everybody, you know, so managing wealth that comes from the business once you sold it or sold parts of it or so on, you know. So what we keep saying is uh, typically a family is united through the family business. But even when the business is sold, the wealth management as a task, with or without a family office structure can also unite uh, the family together and uh, create a new identity for the family if they you know manage to unite themselves uh, under the same kind of roof with the same values with the family governance with a clear uh, investment policy that they jointly look at um, and de derive and so on so so they could reunite not as part of a, a family business, a traditional family business, but also as part of managing the wealth together. So that's um, something Adip and I have seen at, at EY and other places with some families from the Middle East where I did a family governance and uh, the whole process. So, you know, this can uh, be a great point for reuniting um, and often as part of a family office. Right, like a phase two, right, in the evolution of the family structure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah Kirsten Adib? Yeah, thanks, Matthias. Definitely, as Peter and Christian uh, said, it is very important for the family to have a unified vision of what they want to achieve in the future and uh, what are the values that they stand behind. You know, in a public company, you define success by growth and uh, increasing the shareholder value. But in a family business, I think it's a little bit different because uh, success can be defined as uh, whatever the family wants. It can be maybe if we are able to employ family members, that might be a success. If we are able to uh, provide employment for the community and provide uh, you know, philanthropic activities for the community, that may, may be defined as success. But when you're working with a family business that is going through a transition from one generation to the next, you'll find uh, sometimes uh, values and vision may uh, be conflicting between the first generation and the second generation. And uh, uh, when we work with families, sometimes I ask them, why do you want to stay together? they would say maybe we want to uh, keep the legacy of the founder or maybe if we stay together we will get a better financial reward and so on but at the end of the day is this enough to keep the family together because you can still make good money if you invest separately the legacy of the family and the name of the father 
the founder will still be there uh, as your family name and so on. That's why they need to work together to identify a unifying value that they can stand behind and support uh, through the next generation. And uh, it's very important to have an inclusive purpose that everybody can rally behind and uh, can support going forward. And uh, it is inclusive also for the next generation. It will include the next generation views and uh, vision. Right. So purpose is, is very important, right? But I would also think that leadership, a healthy leadership is equally important, right? So the leadership team, leadership culture. Kirsten, I know this is something that you focus on in your work. What are your recommendations for creating a healthy leadership team and leadership culture to increase profits and to maintain a sustainable business or a profitable family office for that matter? Yeah, thanks for the question. It's so important. And and whether ultimately the family decides to sell the business or keep the business, the value of that business, uh, you know, a good part of that is, you know, the leadership, the health of that team. And, you know, ultimately everything boils down to communication. I think one of the missteps that families can take is feeling like they have plenty of time, we'll figure out the future of the business later you know there's time for that later i recently had a client say well we're all getting along and so to him that meant like all is well but the thing is that i want you to everyone to kind of stop and think you know consider are you getting along because you're not having the tough conversations and not that i like to ignite you know conflict in any way but too often i think family members can end up in the world of assumption where they just assume certain members of the family want a, a certain future for the business or they just fear bringing up maybe they know that you know it might be a next gen member and they have a different desire for their own future maybe they don't want to be in the business or they want to be in a different part of the business and you know fear can stop the families from diving into those tough conversations and so the biggest thing is I say each person in the business do that work of one where you can think about your own gifts, your own strengths. And again, I'm going to say that your sense of purpose, what is it that you're feeling called to do? What 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 do you want to do with your time in your life? And um, and then also not uh, no sense of obligation or entitlement in bringing people in. So consider their gifts, their strengths and um their the value that they can bring to the business and have people come into the business accordingly so you know i wonder what are the tough conversations you know that in this example the family avoided can you give us examples of the stuff that usually boils up and what are you know some of the proven ways to handle those discussions yeah, so I can think of a recent client that was a family business. Uh, second generation was just one daughter. She was in her mid-30s and, again, was in the world of assumption. I either need to run the business or I need to leave, you know, be out of the business altogether. And uh, also didn't have a good sense of, uh, she wasn't so confident. She didn't feel like she could be a good leader. And so doing that work of one with her, we were able to identify that she really wanted to be a CFO and she did have great skills there. And, and as we worked to build her leadership skills, she actually had some great leadership acumen, but she just hadn't had the opportunity to really shine, to use those. And so through that process in identifying doing that work of one now they instead of being in the world of assumption she was entered in, uh, able to enter into discussions with her dad about 
hey, here's the plan that I would like to start to create. And that is that um, I do not run the business, but I become CFO. So as you transition out of the business, let's figure out who will run the business. We'll hire that person. And then the knowledge and task transfer will create that over time as he slowly walks his way out. So it would be one. And then just another very quick is a lot of times when the next generation comes in, you know, we have all have this innate desire to feel like our life is part of something bigger than ourselves. And so there's your purpose. Uh, that's really important to consider. But also we all want to feel like we're doing a good job and we want to feel known, acknowledged and appreciated. So a lot of times when the next gen is coming in, hopefully they've had some outside experience and some education and they're going to bring new ideas and thoughts and rejuvenate, you know, and um, move forward the business. However, if they come with too much um, enthusiasm for that, they can end up creating, you know, coming up with too many ideas and too much change and really pushing to make that happen because they want to feel like they're making their mark. And that can leave the now gen feeling offended. Like, hey, I've built this. Are you telling me that everything I've done for the past 30 years is wrong? And so there are specific tactics that you definitely want to use during that time of transition to help smooth through those those uh, periods. Right. Any any other comments regarding these conversations that need to happen or that sometimes get avoided? Well, from my side, if you want, I mean, Kirsten, it's interesting. We didn't practice this, but uh, that's exactly basically why we founded Be Wiser is to help um, next gens, particularly through the process of um, finding their own role. And there we call it roadmap for, for yourself. You know, what is your role either in the business or as part of the whole family? Do you want to take the lead or are you a more passive person? And then also what kind of role do you envisage for yourself and which can you fulfill in helping to manage the wealth and uh, take it sustainably to the next generation you know not everybody is a banker probably luckily i guess but you know some people are better in the shop floor working in the business and some might be better to uh, do some venture capital investments or something. So, you know, it's very much um, walk your way through any possible generational conflicts and find your own roadmap, what you want to do and what your contribution to the family wealth can be. And, uh, you know, the Be Wiser videos kind of talk you through this and give you some guidance on, on doing that. Yeah. So you um, just let's stay on this for a moment, right? So you particularly designed what you call the be wiser method. Can you quickly explain what is this method and why do you think it is so effective? Uh, the be wiser method is basically a combination of financial planning and investment knowledge on one hand and all the psychological issues that you need to understand in order to get wealth transfer from one generation to the next one or wealth management inside a family right. We designed it a bit different than traditional financial planning does it. Traditional financial planning just covers your corporate value, your corporate business and your private wealth. And we have three other dimensions of wealth that we factor in, in order to come up with a better feeling for the robustness of family wealth and a better understanding. And the other thing that is important in the, the Be Wiser method is the didactical side. Uh, we have created a truly enabling training because we, what we saw out there 
was either enabling on a very narrow scale, like uh, trainings on how to become a good trader or something, or for the bigger issues, it was rather academic training, mostly in, in presence. You had to go there to an institution and sit down and they would teach you. And uh, very often there was somebody telling you how difficult the world out there is in order to then sell himself as the solution. And we wanted to be different. We wanted to make sure that people who do that training at the end can do something they couldn't do before. They don't have to become financial experts like all the people here on this, planet, this panel, but they have to be able to understand where they are, when, where they want to go, how to pick good service providers and how to evaluate their success and to get a succession process right. That's the, if you like, the mission that we have. Right. So, and indeed, a lot of research has been done on wealth preservation and wealth transfer across generations. And several studies more or less confirm that nearly 60% of the time, a family's money is exhausted by the children of the person who created the wealth. In 90% of the cases, it's gone by the time the grandchildren die. So we know that the people who created vast amounts of wealth, you know, they were often obsessive, they were driven, but sometimes the kids, maybe not so. Uh, you know, historically, the most famous example of this is the Vanderbilt family, right? Uh, you may all know this, but let me just go through that. So you know that Cornelius, the patriarch, they built a fortune on railroads and shipping during the mid-1900s and adjusted for the size of the economy, he was worth over 200 billion, right? Yet his children, especially his grandchildren, they lived lavishly, building huge mansions in New York City, in Newport, Rhode Island, that you can see today, right, and elsewhere, but they did very little to preserve the fortune. So what's interesting is by the 1970s, that is about 100 years after Cornelius Vanderbilt's death, the family held a reunion with about 120 members attending, and there wasn't a single millionaire among them, right? So I'm wondering, have we gotten smarter? Have the rich become smarter? What is the situation today? Do you still see that the creators of fortunes face the very same risks? Or is there today a different type of awareness and ability to preserve and transfer wealth today? Or are people more educated? Or is the risk to lose it all by the second or third generation still the same? Just speaking in general. Well, I don't know if, if the others want to pick it up also. I mean, surely every case is different, isn't it? Um, I mean, you stated the Vanderbilt case, you know, the Rockefeller case, uh, lots of cases. There's still a lot of families um, around with many, many family members like Brenningmeyer comes to mind. Uh, which the, are, just, just to pick on that, the Rockefeller case yeah. is actually often cited as the opposite because John D. Rockefeller did something completely different by, um, you know, creating creating trusts and really taking care of his um, wealth, you know, while he was still alive. So I'm sure that our friends from the US can share more insights about that. But I just wanted to, to bring that up that there are yeah, even back briefly, then, it was done differently. Briefly, absolutely, if Kirsten and Ali want to chime in, but um, you know, like Rockefellers are also very big um, impact investors, you know, the Rockefeller Foundation and so on. So they they have made a point of investing in impact and specifically sustainably 
which is a trend we very often see today that next gens are, have really had enough um, of investing in old industries and um, uh, leading to climate change and uh, also as part of the COVID crisis now. They want to redirect uh, the capital, the wealth of the family into doing good for the world and to to bring those uh, bring these capital investments to help um, uh, create a, a better world for for everybody. So so that can be a, a way of sustainably uh, maintaining the wealth and transferring it to other generations. Um, but you know, as I said in the introduction, you know every case is different, and and some just mess it up still. Um, you know, but there is more and more talk about family offices. More and more family offices globally are set up to manage the wealth in, a, in the same professional way as the family businesses managed. So let's hope that, that the likelihood rises that, um, you know, wealth is maintained better in the future. Maybe that's that could can be a prediction. I don't know. Uh, other views are invited. Yes, I do not. This time I do not really share completely your view, Peter, and you know I often do. But this time I don't. I think the likelihood to fail is just the same as big as it always was. Because usually when this goes wrong, when wealth is messed up from one generation to the next one, there's three reasons for it. One reason is that they stay entrepreneurial and they just take bad entrepreneurial decisions and the company goes bust. And this may happen all the time to every company on this planet, whether it's listed or private. And this is just part of life. And this happens. And this will always happen. Then if they go into managing wealth, setting up a family office after setting the company, then there is two other reason why, reasons why things may go wrong. One reason is that they just get bad advice. That is why financial education is so important in order to pick good advisors, of course. And the other thing is when they mess up the psychological texture of the family, so the family gets into quarrels and legal disputes and all this kind of stuff. I've seen very often families that do nice contracts for passing on their wealth with good lawyers, but lawyers are not really family office practitioners and they often try to keep out the spouses uh, from doing anything and getting any access to uh, any part of the family business at all. Uh, and this ends up into being perceived as a, an offense by these spouses that have married in, that cater for children, that do all sorts of things. So it would be much wiser to give them a role, even if they don't get shares, but give them a role inside the family. That's what every family office practitioner would advise. But lawyers just try to keep it strict and simple, and that often goes wrong. And legal disputes that follow may just uh, destroy any kind of wealth or at least uh, take it apart. Adib, you, you focus on family governance, right? So can you share from your perspective um, what, what you see and your recommendations? Yeah, thanks. Uh, of course, this uh, the statistics you cited, Matthias, is very, very famous, and uh, usually it is uh, used by most of the family consultants. But I think, I think over the past few years, there have been a lot of uh, new studies around that. And uh, if you look at some of the research that has been done, you find that actually 
despite the high rate of uh, mortality within family businesses, they actually last for a long time. And uh, uh, maybe we need to define how do we uh, uh, define uh, how is it that the family has collapsed? Uh, because uh, uh, maybe these new generation have created a, a completely different venture, but it's still uh, a continuation of the family business. Uh, uh, due to the, to the disruptive uh, environment that we live in, the next generation family members uh, are usually coming with uh, new ideas, uh, new opportunities uh, that might not uh, be a continuity of the original family business, but it is definitely uh, a way forward for the family and the business to continue uh, together. So that's that's the example of the Rockefeller, as, as Peter has mentioned. They have made the uh, uh, decision to move away from fossil fuels to invest in, uh, you know, renewables and uh, uh, green investments and so on. So that's where purpose comes in and uh, why families uh, are adopting new ways of thinking about uh, continuity. So it doesn't mean that I have to continue within the same uh, the same business and the same industry to be a, a successful continuing family business over a generation. That means that uh, as a family, we are still investing together, uh, maybe in new ventures and different ventures, uh, but uh, uh, we are adopting new ways or, on how do we vision our investments towards uh, a goal that we have identified all together as our value or our purpose uh, going forward. Uh, the other thing uh, I think uh, that uh, the governance uh, uh, part comes in uh, is, okay, th these are the rules of the games. So uh, how, how do we deal with that? How do we, uh, what, what are we, uh, how do we keep score? Yeah. How do we identify that we have won or not? Uh, what are the moves that are not allowed? So uh, are we supposed to invest in anything or are we directing the investment towards specific uh, uh, investments that are uh, helping us achieve our uh, objectives and our goals and so on? So this is where governance comes in play. Uh, uh, Matthias. Yeah, thank you, Adib. So the other thing we wanted to speak about is risk management. Um, and we also referred to that the, the operational family business is exposed to risk, uh, risk of failure, etc. But of course, we also have this on the asset management side. Um, Christian, I think you, you, you brought it up, right? You wanted to speak about some of the state of the art risk management approach that you know are or should be applied by wealth owners yeah I just wanted to point out the dimension of risk management in family wealth which goes beyond what we have looked at so far uh, on the macro level so far we just looked at diversification because diversification obviously always helps and we have looked at risk management traditional style, just applying hedging techniques or things in order to decrease risk at given moments in time. 
And ever since the financial crisis, um, other dimensions kicked in. One is, um, you may know that, a factor investing that you just try to measure all risk factors across the entire portfolio. And of course, you have equity risk, not only in equities, but you have it in corporate bonds and all sorts of other asset classes. So that can be quite surprising how big your risk really is. And uh, then the overall robustness I already pointed out as we practice it in the Bewiser method is another thing uh, because you go to the uh, human capital, to the social network and to the family value side of things. And uh, that is other dimensions of risk that should be added in any entrepreneurial or wealthy family. And the last thing is uh, that um, flexibility and thinking ahead uh, has become much more important because what we do after every crisis is we measure risk with the techniques that would have been worked last time, uh, but we never look ahead into the future. And I think that um, we need more creative people in risk management. Yeah, good point. Any other comments? Otherwise, I would move to the impact and ESG investing side. Any other comments regarding wealth transition? Let me just um, very quickly say something on risk. I mean, the risk in financial markets and in, on the liquid side of things, but also risk management is important to me on the illiquid side of things, you know. So you may be invested in one big startup, for example, or you may be invested in 10 or 20 smaller startup startups and thus um, distributing your risk further and diversifying. You know, so, I mean, for the family and the holistic view of the family wealth, it's important to look at risk in all um, kinds of areas, you know, on, on, in all asset classes and even risk uh, like in management or something, you know, that, that there is a risk of... Uh, losing a great manager in one of your subsidiaries, for example, you know, so um, uh, that also is kind of touched on in the Be Wiser learning and training program that you kind of learn about risk and learn to look at risk in all different assets classes and in all the uh, areas where you are active. Can I, can I also add something with regards yes, to sure. risk that sometimes overlooked uh, is basically the, the, the family part of the family uh, risk, which is more of uh, more related to the relationships between family members uh, related to unfortunate sudden death of a family member who might have uh, you know, uh, important role in the business issues uh, with uh, divorce and the impact of that on on the business uh, uh, in in some cases. So so these are also a lot of risks that uh, need to be taken into consideration, and they uh, have a huge impact on the business as well. Right. So. Um, Peter, you, you already spoke about impact investing and how it could uh, possibly de-risk the portfolio and better preserve wealth. Maybe you know, give us a little bit more details about those aspects of uh, impact, sustainable and ESG investing you know, for, for greater fortunes. Well, yes, I mean, there is, thanks, uh, Matthias. Uh, although I also saw Kirsten, so she can also come, come in again. So impact investing, well, I mean, look, um, I see it, to try and cut it short, I mean, uh, I see it as a step-by-step -step approach where you go from negative screening 
to positive screening in your portfolio, mainly starting on the on the liquid side of things. And then uh, you do ESG integration, which is a whole kind of separate subject we could cover here. And if you even go further and deeper with your impact and the family values or the family wants to do more than just ESG best in class comparison, then uh, you would kind of probably end up thinking about impact investing. So impact investing can be on the liquid side where you choose listed uh, stocks or even bonds and uh, attach a really rigid impact screening to it with uh, impact um, definition, meaning that it's, it's additional investment and that your impact in uh, the social or ecological area is actually measurable. So that's the prerequisite uh, to be called impact investing so that you can actually measure the results that you achieve. That's on the liquid side, but then also on illiquid investments, you know, very many families now look at um, impact in the illiquid side where you um, invest in, for example, in social startups or in ecological projects, you know, not just wind and solar, but also, you know, saving uh, the flora and fauna, for example, um, you know, so so that there would be like a lot of um, possibilities to uh, reach and to achieve deep impact with your uh, direct investments. And I, I see Gadi Kenny in, in the in the audience, I don't know, he's he's new to um, to Clubhouse House. I know that, Gadi. I don't know if you want to come up. He's an Israeli um, impact investor. And I also see Jörg Winner from Deka. So, you know, this uh, is um, uh, reaching family offices on the one hand, impact investing, but also uh, the in institutional um, investment side of things where lots of funds are now offering uh, impact uh, solutions as an alternative and a deeper uh, sustainable investment than simply ESG, which will end up being very common very soon, I, I envisage. Kirsten, any, any further comment regarding impact ESG as a way to de-risk portfolio and better preserve wealth? Uh, no, I've been blinking my... <laughs> my microphone a couple topics back. Um, you know, I mean, my focus is fully on the family health, family relationship health, and then the business health. So I'm not on the finance side. I collaborate with people because I do think the impact yeah. investing piece is such an important part about family legacy and, and sense of purpose. But so what, but yeah. what are the things that um, I missed you to take on? Um, do you want to throw that in? Uh, no, that's okay. Okay. Okay, so I think we are through with all the questions that I have prepared. But is, before we close, is there anything that you think is important and you did not have the opportunity the, to share? Uh, maybe if we uh, just uh, uh, like maybe summarize of how, how purpose can be uh, helpful in achieving uh, unity within the family and uh, uh, what how how do you formulate a, 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 a purpose that is uh, inclusive for uh, for uh, all generations that's, that's aspirational attractive for all generations to be uh, you know united and uh, supportive uh, going forward it's also important that uh, 
this purpose is uh, encouraging for all family members to to be uh, you know spend more time together work together and develop you know uh, a vision for the future that they all support and they can uh, continue going forward well you know this this purpose is obviously something that goes way beyond just having a, a family constitution right so how do you actually you know give a purpose make it a reality a living reality an expansive reality and not just a piece of paper like a, a constitution could end up being i think you'd have to find something that gives an emotional buy-in to all family members and in order to conclude my contribution i just want to share a little story with you there was this entrepreneurial family that became big with the construction of railroads because they had a patent on seamless rail production and that was very valuable at the time and then they diversified into other industries and uh, moved on uh, then the family was very much fallen, uh, falling apart because one part of the family was in Europe and the other was living in the US and they didn't have a lot of, 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 of a bond uh, among these two continents and these two parts of the family. So the family office made a clever move. They bought back a very small company that was uh, producing railroad steel. So once a year the family unites on the production side and then they touch the steel and they feel all united and there is no more question about this family falling apart. All right, back, back to the roots. <laughs> okay, so let me use this as a way to really wrap up the session. I want to thank Kirsten Adib, Christian and Peter to make time. Um, I am working on the replay now, uh, putting it into a podcast. I have to apply this as uh, a new podcast, so I'm not putting it into the Alternative Investments podcast, which is already up and running. I'm creating a family office podcast. So bear with me about one week and I will share uh, the links with everyone. Anyone who is in the audience, I really appreciate you um, taking the time. If you want to reach out to me, I will share then the link with you of the new podcast. You can just email me nabknab at opales.com. That's also mentioned in my Clubhouse profile. We'll be back here soon. I look forward to continue the series in our newly founded Family Office Club. And please also anytime reach out to me with ideas ideas what else we can do on our newly founded family office club. So thank you all, uh, be well, and see you soon back here on Clubhouse, right? Bye-bye, everyone. Great, Matthias, uh, Thanks, Kirsten, Adi, thank Thanks you so much. Bye -bye. At, be wiser, at Be Wiser, we say be wise and see you in the next session. You know? okay. so, <laughs> great. Let's do okay, that. everybody. Thanks a lot. Thanks, everyone. Great Bye -bye. discussion. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that was it for today's podcast version of the Family Office Club on Clubhouse. Thank you for joining and subscribing to our service. You can always email me at nab at opalesk.com for any comment or feedback and also if you're interested in joining our show as a guest. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, please write a review to help others discovering this service.